Now, it's time for Modern Money Donuts with Stephen Hale and Gabrielle Bond. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Modern Money Donuts, our show about ecological economics and modern monetary theory. My name is Gabrielle Bond. I'm a, a director and CEO of Modern Money Lab. And I'm also an organiser at the Sustainable Prosperity Action Group in Adelaide, South Australia. I'd just like to mention before I hand over to Stephen that um, the music at the beginning of our show is by my partner, played by my partner, Alexander Hannis. And you can check out more of his work. He's a pianist and did now uh, morphing into digital artist as well. You can check out more of his work at www.hannis.net. Um, I'm here with Stephen and our good friend Sherry. Stephen, would you like to say what you what you're up to? Well, uh, my name's Stephen Hale. I uh, am an economist at uh, Gabby's organisation that she's the CEO of, Mod Modern Money Lab, and academic director on the graduate programs in the economics of sustainability at Torrance University here in Adelaide, in South Australia. Where in the Adelaide Hills, it's actually a bit chilly today, which is why I've got my jumper on. We're moving into what we call autumn, some people call fall. Um, we've got a guest with us today who was with us on our first series, haven't we, Gabby? Yeah. Um, so welcome, Sherry. Dr. Sherry Wise is a senior economist at the US Department of Agriculture, and she's a regular on Kerberos Media Productions. And I see um, while, we, while we talk about regulars, we've got a lot of our regular listeners uh, tuning in. So hello, everybody who's listening. And hello, everybody who's watching us um, later on, um, on replay as well. Thank you for joining us. And thank you for joining us, Sherry. How are you? Well, thank, good. Thank you, Steve and Gabby. Um, I am doing pretty well. The weather here in Washington, the Washington, D.C. area is very um, uh, mixed. <laughs> we had like 70s one day and 30s the next. <laughs> so it's been kind of crazy. So um, anyway, but these things happen nowadays, I'm, I'm afraid. So. Yeah. They do indeed. We've got uh, a large part of the um, southeastern Australian coast is underwater at the moment. We have once in 500 year floods, they call them, but actually oh, they're no. about once in every 10 year floods these days, including much of Sydney. Much of Sydney is underwater at the moment. People in the US, if they've heard of one Australian city, that's the one that they've, uh, they've probably um, heard of. And mm -hmm. actually, we were going to talk, or we are going to talk about climate change, mm -hmm. and particularly climate change in farming today. And the Australian Farmers for Climate Action Group released a report this morning, or, or if you're in the US, tomorrow morning, um, <laughs> entitled Fork in the Road, Impacts of Climate Change on Our Food Supply. And... Uh, one line from that report says that Australia has robust logistic chains as far as food is concerned, but food supply is at risk if two or more catastrophic events were, were to be combined wow. in the future. And climate change is having an impact not just in those countries which you might think of as most vulnerable to, mm -hmm. to issues such as food supply and rising food prices, particularly when combined with war 
between uh, Russia and Ukraine and other issues like that, but uh, potentially even in countries like Australia. What's the situation as far as the US is concerned in farming and climate change? Well, um, this year it hasn't been too bad. Last year, um, we had a lot of fires in the West and yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know that has been you know that was that was terrible. Um, so it wasn't just the fires, but you know it you know it affects the quality of life and affects the crops. Um, one of the things that we've seen persistent um, um, weather problems. One of the areas that we've had persistent weather problems in the U.S. is in the western U.S. and um, that is yeah. an area where there's a lot of a lot of agriculture and we know we have seen um in um uh, various uh, uh, like like for instance in california they not only don't get rain in the summer they don't get snow in the winter and that snow mm. is really important for a lot of their crops um and so so we have we have that and we have um uh let's see Right now, we're um, unfortunate. I don't know if we can show the map I, I brought along, but the U.S. Department of Agriculture puts on uh, puts together a um, uh, a map called the drought drought monitor. And it's up on the screen right, at the moment. Huh? Oh, you can yeah. see it. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can see it. Great, because it's not showing up on my end, but that's fine. Um, yeah, the um, so the, what this drought monitor shows is that in the um, let me uh, just open it on my end so I can I can see it real quickly. What it shows is that a, a big chunk of the United States is now in um, a drought, and um, now I'll get that up. It looks very, um, very much like the um, the areas of severe, extreme, and exceptional drought. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Virtually uh, half the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, current conditions there. Uh, yeah, sorry about that. I don't know why it's not showing up on my map, but I mean on my screen. But uh, yeah, yeah. So what the drought man uh, monitor shows is comparison with normal normal conditions so it's not just that you know maybe it's hot and dry this is compared to the historical trend and yeah. what you see is that half of the united states is in a state of of, of severe drought or worse and um or almost half of that but you yeah. also see that there's a lot of, you know, I mean, the entire half, western half of the United States is in drought. And um, this has been going on for really quite a long time. And um, so, uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, this has really caused permanent impacts to the U.S. Uh, agriculture. And mm -hmm. so, for instance, um, Shane, if you can show the next um, slide. Yeah, we can see the uh, haystacks. Okay, great. Yeah. Okay. The next slide, what that shows is haystacks. And mm -hmm. um, what, what the relevance of that is that, well, for one thing, 
lot of that hay is grown in those areas where there's drought. And mm -hmm. that, you know, these are the plains areas. I mean, a lot of this is the plains areas of the United States. And so this has been big cattle ranching, you know, range um, area. And so um, what this means is that when, uh, so, so not only are the cattle having uh, problems feeding just on the range, we also mm. aren't even growing as much hay as we normally would. And yeah, so, yeah. you know, yeah. And so, and, and, and so, and you can see that really this started getting pretty bad in the uh, 2010s, early 2010s. And it's just so really persistent. Can you tell us what the bottom axis is? Is that months or years down oh. the bottom? That is years. That is years. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So there was a yeah. very dry year back about 10 years, 11 years ago, and then it yep. went back to normal or trending back to normal and then just dry, 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 dry. Right. Yeah. 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 There was a really bad drought in um, 2014 and yeah. mm -hmm. uh, 2012, 2013, 2014, round in there. And, um, and so, the haystacks really got hit in 2011. Um, and um, so, and I'm gonna, I'll show you some other gra uh, graphs that actually also show this. So, yeah. um, but, but what happened was um, as a result of this, we actually saw a lot of um, animal production moving out of areas that traditionally had, you know, been, um, uh, cattle area and kind of moving to other areas of the country um the cattle industry is kind of a, a strain it's 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 very complicated industry industry because cattle they take a they take four years you know um from yeah. the time you breed a, a cow to like by the time they're ready to sell and yeah. and so what happens is um you have a like a year-long period of gestation and then and then the the cow uh, the, the cow gives birth the, the calf um is is um with its mother for about you know a, a year or so and then after that it'll it, it goes it um it increases, it, it goes into what we call the feeder stage. I'm sorry, mm. sorry, this the stalker stage. And mm. there, that's when they'd be eating a lot of the hay and a lot of the range and stuff. And then mm. towards the end of its life, in the US anyway, with the way we produce it, it goes to a feed yard. And that's when it's going to mm. be fed the grains, gets fattened yeah. up, then it goes yeah. to market. Um, yeah, yeah. Now, I think in Australia, a lot, a lot more of your cattle is free range. Yeah, I'm sorry, it's, uh, it's grass. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, but, but what, what, what's unusual about the U.S. with this system is that in certain areas of the country, they'll tend to specialize in one aspect of that chain of production. So, mm -hmm. like in the southeast you see a lot of cow calf operations. And so that's the, you know, the, the, the cat cows and the mother and the baby calf, then it'll move, uh, they'll move into uh, like maybe the Midwest, um, the Western regions. So and, they transport um, them on trucks, just like, I'm sorry. Hundred, did they yeah, transport yeah. them on trucks, hundreds of yeah. trucks traveling yeah. across? Yeah. 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 Strange yeah. way to put, but there you go. 
I guess yeah. <laughs> so what's been on. the impact? What's been the impact of uh, of this uh, prolonged dry period or sequence of of dry years on on all this? I mean, in Australia, we've had droughts in the last decade where it's been a terrible struggle to for farmers to keep feeding mm -hmm. livestock, and farmers have had to move out mm -hmm. of, yeah. of running cattle. Yeah, we've had that. Um, in Texas, there was a pretty good size um, packing plant that it, I think it was Cargill. Um, they they closed it down. It pretty much wiped out the town um, yeah. because most of the people were somehow involved with the cattle industry. Um, and that directly came about because of the, the cattle crisis, because what was happening is there, it was really dry during that period of time and they couldn't afford to feed the cattle. And so mm -hmm. what happens is if they can't, if they're, if they're too immature to go into slaughter, um, what, or go to, into feeding, they'll send them to be fed somewhere else. Um, yeah. And so, and so what happened was, you know, all the cattle just <laughs> were moved someplace else. These um, feedlots and ranches closed down and the packing mm -hmm. plant closed down. So, yeah. yeah I mean, I guess in the bigger picture, um, we're all going to have to use, uh, get used to eating less meat. Um, some of us are already sort of getting some comments that were trying to buy grass fed more than, more than um, the feedlot um cattle which is great and you know um we each do what we can if if that's something that we we're passionate about trying to protect the climate by changes that we make through our lifestyles mm -hmm. but really um individuals can only do so much i keep coming back to that it's about um the state needing to step in to make decisions that are in the best interests of our future so i wonder if yeah. you have any thoughts on what's going to happen to these types of industries in the future and whether it might come into something more like a just transition with people who are into this, you know, working in this high intensity farming industry, something's got to give at some point. Yeah. Well, I think for one thing, you know, a huge part, part of the United States, you know, is involved in ranching. It's, it, hmm. you know, agriculture is a big, part of our economy and yeah. um and then when you consider the processing everything it's like you know one seventh of the economy um mm -hmm. and so that that's that's a huge thing and and in a lot of areas we have you know a lot of remote areas that that's all the people have known for generations both um, our countries and, are similar in that way yeah. i'm sorry yeah, Both you can say that about Australia. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, and so, and, you know, for a lot of these people, it's, this is, you know, this is their heritage. Um, mm. And so I don't see that, that meat, uh, that like beef production is going to go away. Um, mm. I do think that um, there's, you know, there, now there's like cultured meat, um, you know, meat alternatives, um, mm -hmm. and actually some meat that can be produced in the lab, uh, you know, yeah. sort of. But that's lab. a long way of replacing, you know, yeah. the, the yeah. so thousands I think, and thousands of tons of meat that's eaten every day. Like yeah, I read yeah. online that the average American eats 120 ki kilograms of meat per year. Like that's a lot. Yeah. 
I'll have to fact check that. And Australia is about 80 kilograms. But it's well, not actually, just about meat production, is it, with climate change no. too? Because because uh, in Australia um, we produce we produce a lot of things we shouldn't produce here, like rice, mm -hmm. for example, oh, yeah. uh, which yeah. are increasingly a problem with the drought and with water being diverted from. It, it, since we're in South, Gabby and I are in South Australia. Our big river is called the Murray River, which has been in crisis for many years now because of the demands of irrigation some of this potentially people say could be dealt with by moving some agricultural practices further north in the country where there is more rain but the trouble is further north in the country there are irreplaceable um, ecological resources which would be destroyed as a result of moving the farming further north so you you potentially solve one problem mm -hmm. but create something worse yeah exactly yeah. and that's where again as gabby said i think the government can step in um mm. usda is actually um has been doing some things we actually um just announced a one billion dollar um climate change initiative to fund research projects um mm -hmm. and you know this would include you know farmers um and you know so and the the um the funding levels vary from quite small to you know a, mm -hmm. a half a million dollars or something well, that's really um, and so the point is of this is to develop ideas to try to uh you know become uh, uh, become more climate aware and more mm -hmm. climate, you know, productive with with um, te new techniques that are more environmentally friendly. Um, yeah. And I actually send along some links, which I believe Shane's going to put in um, the description that actually um, we have uh, give um, some some information about uh, various things that USDA is doing, um, also some stuff from from the EPA. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's going to take a certain amount of. Um, uh, I mean, we're going to need new technology and new techniques to deal with this. But of course, they're not going to solve it alone. Uh, you know. No, but it, it, I guess it's a, a variety of different approaches. But yeah. it, it sounds like you're talking there about a move towards a more regenerative approach to farming with yeah. lower till methods and right. the avoidance of waste and keeping more carbon in the exactly. soil, those yeah. kind of issues. Right. I, right. I, I thought I might fling in um, something I've been reading about recently at this point in time, which is that um, our ability to feed, where are we, nearly 8 billion people on the world now, mm -hmm. um, relates very much to, since you were talking about research and technology, to research and technology from about 100 years ago, mm -hmm. when uh, uh, Fritz Haber developed the Haber-Bosch process for mm -hmm. capturing nitrogen from the air, Oh yeah, and mm -hmm. uh, and when we started using on a on an industrial scale, mm -hmm. an intensive farming, uh, um, both nitrogen and uh, uh, phosphorus added to the soil, mm 
which um, has transformed us from there were 100 years ago, people thought that intensive farming might one day allow the planet to carry 4 billion people. Mm. And we're now feeding 8 billion people. Mm. But we're doing it using that, uh, using those fertilizers, yeah. which 85% uh, at the moment of what is put on the land is wasted, goes into our waterways and eventually in the sea and without going into the details of it, basically creates dead zones, yeah. has catastrophic consequences 85%. and we can't do it forever. 85%. The added in fertilizers that we add to the land, so, uh, so uh, the um, farmers for climate action report says anyway, um, 85% is runoff as far as nitrogen and phosphorus is concerned. What that then does is it, it leads to the development of algal blooms in yeah. waterways, which yeah. suck the oxygen out of the water and create dead zones in rivers yeah. and lakes and in the sea as well. And uh, so it's not just, it's not just about climate change. It's about ecological sustainability generally and yeah. i think we need a big effort which has to be funded by our big monetary sovereign federal governments mm -hmm. and perhaps isn't at the moment yeah. to to consider how are we going to feed eight to ten billion people mm -hmm. yeah in a no. way which doesn't destroy our environment yeah no that's completely correct that's completely mm. correct. Um, you know, one thing um, in mentioning about people's, um, you know, staying on the land, a lot of the people who um, like the, a lot of the beef cattle ranchers, um, they kind of feel like they, they are um, stewards of the land, you know, mm. and there are a lot of people who really have always taken environmental stuff in, into account and um and so i think we need to you know be aware that there's a lot of people who have a lot of experience mm. and you know they just need maybe some incentive you know better incentives um another thing though of interest in at least in the u.s this is the case is that um a lot of the farmers now are you know like beyond you know getting it, we have a real age problem mm -hmm. in that you know mm -hmm. a lot of farmers are aging out um mm -hmm. or getting very close to retirement and there's nobody to to fill in for them because mm -hmm. you know farm prices have gotten so so high uh so ex you know so high um and then it's not just it's just it's, it's land, it's the, you know, very sophisticated technology, it's the expertise, it takes a huge amount of information, um, you know, to grow crops and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, it's monumentally expensive to just try to get into farming. But, you know, it's it, very much about the attitudes to climate change that US farmers have, is it um, is it are there is there growing acceptance of the science, or is there a lot of people who still think that there's nothing we can that human beings have no impact on the climate? Well, my experience is there's probably I shouldn't say experience, but what I have been seeing in looking at the trade press is 
it seems like there's less denying it. Um, mm -hmm. And it seems like there's more just kind of accepting. And certainly in the case of like the leadership, they know, you know, yeah. because well, they, they, it's making a difference. Farmers have the lived experience. They can see it around them. Well, they? They're true. more directly affected by it than, than most people are. But right. there's still there's still attitudes in Australia that, you know, we've always had droughts and floods and this is no worse than it's been before. I think those are changing, but it's definitely still a problem. And I think a, another big problem is that uh, our media have been incredibly slow to make the link explicit between extreme weather and climate change. And they still uh, there's still this attitude like when a disaster happens like a flood or a fire that oh no this is not the time to talk about climate action because people are still hurting and people need our support and we should just uh, ignore that problem and put it out of our minds until there is a time when we have the uh, you know headspace to talk about it that time is pretty much gone yeah 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 i would i think even uh, Nowadays, our, our media has been like that. Hmm. Now they actually are starting to acknowledge that things are happening because of climate change. They're doing, you know, I mean, they're not, um, they're not telling, uh, you know, showing stories about, you know, what people are doing about it, or they're not um, show, teaching people what might, uh, what options might be. They don't talk about policy, but they mm -hmm. actually do you know, they actually are using the words climate change. Okay. Well, that is a step in the right direction. 25 years too late, but we'll take it. Exactly. Well, there's a limit to what farmers can do. Uh, they're, yeah. they're, we, we, can, uh, we can adjust and farmers can move and be encouraged to move by governments towards more regener regenerative farming, including for cattle, because not everybody's going to become a, a vegetarian. But in the end, there is a limit to what we can do without tackling the overarching problem, which is climate change. Mm. Generally, you can yeah. only adjust to a certain yeah. degree. Uh, so it comes back to if we want 1.5 degrees warming, then we should be cutting emissions at 7 to 10 percent per annum. And actually this year there'll be a record level of emissions. They're not falling at all. They're mm -hmm. still rising. Wow. And uh, even if we want to keep it below two degrees, mm -hmm. we need to be cutting emissions at 5% per annum. And yeah. current policies, um, uh, people who are experts say, are consistent with three degrees of global warming. And the, the climate extremes we are going to have, if that takes place, I think will be beyond the ability Mm -hmm. of farmers in large parts of the world, including probably much of the US, mm -hmm. to to adjust. Mm -hmm. It'll just be taken out of our control. Um, so yeah. I, 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 I think farming and climate change sits within, it's part of the big, the big picture. Exactly. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I mean, I think we have an opportunity here because mm -hmm. we do have a lot of the older people who've been resistant to changing that, you know, mm -hmm. are getting out and, you know, a lot of them want to get out, uh, mm -hmm. you know, but they need somebody, you know, all their wealth is in their farm. 
And yeah. so, you know, they need somebody to, you know, to, to, you know, come in and, and take that on. Um, and certainly we really could use some, some, um, you know, programs that can help people, young people get into farming, help them teach, help that help te teach them to farm, help them learn more e ecologically hmm. safe ways. We of, kind of, of down to another, another thing that um, we, we, understand as the prescriptive side of modern monetary theory, right? So, yeah. you know, there is all this work that needs to be done and we have, a, a, you know, a resource of people who don't have enough work and mm -hmm. we have the capacity with our, um, our governments could actually support people to be working in this sort of more hands-on because the type of farming we're talking about that we need to start doing more of is the labour-intensive sort of side, right? Mm -hmm. We don't want to, like... Um, have a bunch of, um, you know, sort of, sort of like an automation um, future where where machines are driving the tractors and and running the farms. Although there's plenty of movement in that direction as well. But the more well, think, um, sustainable agriculture requires more human input, right? Yeah, yeah. And and even not necessarily even just what we might normally think of is, you know, hoeing, <laughs> you know, the, no, no, the, no, no, the no. more physical, but, you know, gathering information about what's going on mm. in the farm to determine, OK, yeah. when do we need to take pest control measures? When do we need, you know, and it, we have the ability now to narrow it down to, you know, small patches, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, more, you know, more localized. But, more value add yeah yeah right more stewardship as, as sherry was saying before and and yeah. less added artificial fertilizer i mean we're not right. saying no we can't feed people without using this these things at all right. but we have to avoid putting too much on or mm. putting it on in the wrong places mm -hmm. and seeing yeah. all that runoff yeah yeah it's very wasteful and one thing um Gabby, to your point about the media, I think there's another um, group that could do a little more to educate people about uh, um, environment and the, the costs of, of uh, climate change, and that's economists. Because one thing is being in the, the you know the government we deal with regulations and mm. um when there's a large bill you know that gets passed becomes a law and we write rules about it to implement those rules we have to do benefit cost analyses mm. and um unfortunately you know the benefits tend to be things that are hard to quantify the costs mm. are very quantifiable Mm, and yeah. so what happens is that um, there's a tendency for many of the economists and, you know, in different parts of the government to really focus in on those costs um, and also not um, be more open to, you know, looking at, you know, how we can how we can deal with costs that we can't uh, things benefits that we can't quantify. Um, Actually, you've just given me a, a very good opportunity to mention that in two weeks' time, we're going to have on this show Steve Keen. 
who oh, is good. one of the one of the yeah. best writers on the economics of climate change these days. I mean, in the past, he used to be uh, used to uh, write a lot about financial instability, mm -hmm. uh, but recently he's been writing about the catastrophically bad mm -hmm. neoclassical economics mm -hmm. of climate change, which has come out of the work of the Nobel. Uh, prize winner William Nordhaus and mm -hmm. some of his colleagues, mm -hmm. which has done just what Sherry was talking about, really, yeah, yeah. on a macro yeah. rather than a micro level. It's mm -hmm. uh, overestimated the costs of uh, of dealing with uh, uh, carbon emissions and climate change, and underestimated, severely underestimated the benefits. Right. Yeah. Of doing and so. one of the things that that actually really irritates me. <laughs> about how this is done is that um, there there seems to economists tend to forget that when you you know if even if you just look back at you know econ 101 when you're talking about externalities you know even if you have something as simple as a tax mm. to you know to reduce the amount of pollution um, you know that cost is supposed to be there. Um, and so, you know, yeah. there's this tendency mm. to be very defensive about what these costs are. But mm. the costs are actually something we need to acknowledge because we're yeah. imposing those costs. Mm. You know, when you when you mm. if you over fertilize land that goes down the and the runoff goes down the Mississippi, you're affecting like, you know, a fishery or a sh shrimpery or something you know so i yeah. mean there are people other people who get affected by this stuff That's and they're a lot harder to identify but we need to acknowledge those costs and we need to stop being so like defensive and kind of ashamed you know costs are high well you know it it's certainly the case that you know maybe they're supposed to be that high <laughs> <laughs> There's so much that's similar between our two countries. Like everything that you've said about the US applies in Australia as well. Mm -hmm. I think, mm -hmm. um, yeah, we both <laughs> got a lot of pace and, um, uh, you know, a, a, an advanced sort of farming economy and growing things mm -hmm. and farming things in the wrong areas and all the problems that, yeah. that you've described are, yeah. uh, with yeah. us as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, as as a livestock economist, I've seen a lot of the stuff that that, you know, in the last decade or so that Australia's dealt with um, with respect to um, livestock production because you've had drought and then other times there have been massive floods um, and then just carried all kinds of animals away. So there's just know, been a huge yeah. environmental Thanks. impact. Stephen, you're sorry. Yeah. You're sorry. No, no. Oh, I was just good. I was just going to be agreeing with Sherry, really, mm. and uh, say what what we've heard from Sherry for the last uh, half an hour or so is as much as anything else a call to action mm -hmm. for governments. Yeah. And there is, it's a place where there is an overlap between uh, an ecological perspective, which is which is vitally important mm -hmm. and and uh, um, action by monetary sovereign governments so there's an overlap with MMT there and I 100% agree with what Sherry was saying about externalities mm -hmm. it's even perhaps gone beyond that it's not just the costs that we impose 
on other people who are difficult to identify at the moment, it's that I think we are close to the point where it's about the risk of the collapse of our civilization. Yeah. In oh, a few I, time, if we don't get this right. I totally agree. I totally mm. agree. Another thing, another thing that I do in my job is um, we purchase food for a lot of the food um, uh, assistance programs in the U.S. Mm. And um, so even though even though we don't uh, deal with marine fisheries or anything, it has affected our ability to purchase those commodities because mm. one of the things that happens with the oceans is the uh, as the water temperature increases, um, fish that normally would be in say warmer waters start moving further north, fish that normally would yeah. be in cold waters, they start moving or, you know, they're hard to find. Yeah. Um, even highly mi migratory species like tuna are affected. Um, and so it's just, it's mind boggling when you really have to think about all these things. Yeah. It, it, it is indeed, it is indeed, every but there's still time. Every fraction of yes. a degree is worth fighting for. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's not everything or nothing. We're not gonna, we're, we're already suffering from the consequences of climate change and, People mm -hmm. in lower income countries suffer much more than we do, yeah. but yeah. we can limit climate change. Mm -hmm. It's a terrible tragedy that the um, the um, the climate change part of the Build Back Better package in mm -hmm. the US seems to have been held up. Yeah. Um, and I, I hope that will change. And I hope that governments in countries like Australia and the US and and China and the other um, big emitters um, get onto carbon emissions generally, but also part of that is sustainable farming and, and supporting yeah. farmers yeah. Um, so that they can move towards sustainable farming. It's not right. about punishing anyone. It's we all have to work on this together. Yeah. And the work of people like Sherry is so important. So I think we have to wind it up there, really. But I'd like Thanks to thank Sherry yeah. again for joining us. Well, thank and you for having I, me. It's marvellous. I, I hope we'll <laughs> see you again because we, we only get to <laughs> chat for a short time on these yeah. shows. Next week, we're going to um, be talking, we hope, with Con Michalakis, who is uh, said to be slightly different. He, he's uh, uh, a leading um, investment officer in Australia, who's also worked on Wall Street. He's a, uh, the chief investment officer of Statewide Super, which is the largest financial institution in, in South Australia, and also the chairman of Modern Money Lab that yes. Gabby is the CEO yeah. from. So we'll be asking a Wall Street guy why modern monetary theory is important to him, why yes. he thinks it's important next week. And then, That's as great. we were saying, since we mentioned it before, I mentioned it again, we'll talk a little bit about the economics of climate change, and also why he's standing for the Senate in Australia to Professor Steve King in two weeks' time. Yeah. Uh, we're very much looking forward to that, and we'd love to have Sherry back on again before too long as well. Um, other, and other than that, I think we just have to mention that Joe Firestone's excellent show is on at it's 9 o'clock, EST. And yeah. thank everybody for watching. Thanks, we'll see, see you next, next time. time.
Thank you for having me. You guys Thanks, can get your Good on you.